Um, before I dive in, I just want to remind you, um, we've called this, this series a secondary issue, but it's important because the Bible talks about it. Just want to reemphasize, what does secondary mean? It means that you're not going to be rejected out of heaven for disagreeing on this point, though we believe it's biblical, though we believe it's true, and we wish everybody believed it. It's not one of those things that you are not going to get to go to heaven. Even better news, you're not going to be put in a separate room. We're going to be praising Jesus for all of eternity together because we believe in Christ and Christ alone. We've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. But we've wanted to dive into this and just answer some of the questions we've been getting anyways and just explain our position. So we're wrapping up here um, in TULIP. We've gone through the total depravity of man. That's the T. This is the acronym, right? Unconditional election, limited atonement. We've done perseverance of the saints, and now we're ending on the I, which is irresistible grace. Also, another way of saying it would be effectual calling. And this doctrine deals with the fact that, that those who God has called, he is going to effectively save. And a, another way to, to kind of put it is Jesus didn't die on the cross hoping something would happen. He died assuredly knowing that his people would come to faith. Right. And now this is where we can get into the nuance. Right. Did, did, did God foresee something that that we would choose or foresee something that we would do? Regardless of your view there, we have to come to the understanding that irresistible grace is that Christ knew for sure he wasn't dying for nothing. Sometimes I like do chores around the house. I'm like, am I even going to get any love or attention for the things that I'm doing? I've, I've had the, the sink has been emptied every day this week. And last night I was like. I feel like we've been doing really good this week. No arguing or anything. She's like, yeah, you've really stepped up. And I'm like, yes. I was beginning to wonder, right? Like Sunday hit, and I'm like, I got to do better. Saturday, I'm just going to like, how do I subtly approach this to make sure that this is effectual, like this is working? Because if it's not working, I'm not doing it this next week. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It, that was a lot of sacrifice. Um, and, and surely, church, when, when Christ laid his life on the line, he knew he knew people would come to him because he's drawing them. He's effectually leading them to himself. So before we dive into the word, let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, thank you for um, this space. I, I pray that we just, this space doesn't become just a building to us, um, that it's, it's just pointless that this time together is just, just another act of our week. But God, that we would see this as an act of worship, not just in our singing, not just in the proclamation of your word, but in the way we love one another here uh, when we gather, the way that we serve one another, the way that we engage with one another, the way that we pray with one another, the way that we lead out with one another. God, that we would take this seriously. God, and I pray that as we uh, close up this series and just approach you through your word, God, that you would just humble us and remind us of your goodness. Um, God, I pray uh, for charity, even with those as we wrap up the series that disagree. God, we would say um, they are saved by grace through faith. Um, and Lord, we just, we always want to approach your word. God, we, we are open to correction also. The pastors here, the members here, each and every one of us, we're open to correction. But God, we have to take your word serious. We believe it is inerrant. We believe it is for our good and for your glory that you've given it to us, the way that you've revealed yourself to us through it. So God, just lead us to it each and every day. God, that we would draw near to you through your word with one another. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the, the point for us this morning is the Spirit effectually draws God's people. The Spirit effectually draws God's people. So this is, this is important because sometimes when we start to talk about the Trinity, we, we just say we believe in, in one God revealed in three persons, not three parts. We believe in one God revealed in three persons. Amen? We believe in the Trinity here. But then we're like, how does that kind of play itself out? Well, within this doctrine, 
uh, we, we get to see each person and their ministry within the Trinity. We see that the God elects his people, that Christ paid for his people, and that the Spirit seals his people. And this is what this doctrine is going to be dealing with, is the ministry really of the Holy Spirit. Because we've gotten into, uh, with, with God having a plan for his people and calling his people and choosing his people, not of our good, not of our, our own deeds, not of anything that we would bring to the table. Remember when, when God tells Israel, he says, I didn't choose you because you were a great in number, because you were powerful, right? And nor does he choose any of us. We, we read in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that God is choosing those who are low and humble to exalt and show his power, to, to glorify himself, to display his greatness. He's not choosing me, because I bring something to the table, right? When we line up for a pickup basketball game, guys, first thought is like, who's the tallest and who has the best shot? We, we, we look at what people bring. We look at their accolades. We say, yeah, they are going to make this team great. But we, the church, the bride of Christ, we say, we are his bride, and he is the one who's great, and he displays his glory through our what? Weakness. So this is good. It's never a fun thing. That's why this series is probably like, oh, I just feel like I've gone like, you know, week after week in a boxing match. We're not trying to bring out all of our bad. We're trying to show you God's good through our bad. So we're going to start with uh, three points to just drive home the fact that the Spirit effectually draws God's people. And those three points are dead, drawn, and determined. Point number one, dead. So we do have to hit, we've got to go back with this doctrine particularly within the doctrines of grace, the doctrine of irresistible grace. It's important to double tap into our condition, total depravity, that our spiritual condition before the holy God is dead, completely dead. So we've already talked about this, but it's important to reiterate here. So I want to go to Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles with us, you can turn with us. It'll be on the screen, but you've got Bibles uh, beneath you, behind you, in front of you, and those baskets every other row, and you can grab one of those. Tag along with us. So Paul writes a very lofty letter to the church in Ephesus. But here in chapter 2, in the first three verses, he says this, talking about man's condition. And the reason we talk about man's condition is we don't understand the grace of God if we do not fully understand our condition in which we've been saved from, okay? Right? Like, like when we understand the depths of our depravity, we can better understand when we sing amazing grace that saved a wretch like me, Right? Like, we're like, amazing grace. And it's like, kind of skip over that, like, wretch like me. Like, the Puritan prayer you read this morning. I'm like, man, who, who reads, like, who writes that down? Like, you're like, talking about how terrible I am. But it's true. It's true. Before God, we are fallen people, dead in our trespasses. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, and you were, what? Dead. And the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." Now, the good news is you can already pick up on the fact that Paul is writing in past tense because he's speaking to believers who were no longer dead in their trespasses because they've been saved by grace through faith. He's going to get to that. But what he has to do is open up and talk about 
man's condition. He says, and you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. I was uh, looking up on, on Google. It's like, I don't like recommend like the Google search of like dead person coming back to life, right? Like that, don't Google that, right? But I'm like, maybe we can figure out something where a dead person brings himself back to life. I was researching, I was researching, I was researching. Guess what? It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen where you're just like, whoop, nope, I'm back. No, you can talk to one of our deacons, Jeremy Dubois. Uh, he's an EMT uh, over in, um, a paramedic over in Akron. And he talks about week after week, every, every shift he has, they're bringing somebody back, right? Now, Jeremy doesn't go and just say, like, hey, stop the ground, and like, maybe like, it'll like, trigger something. Like, no, like, there's nothing that's going to do. They have to operate. They have to do something to put air back in their lungs, so Paul's making man's spiritual condition very clear. Now, it's important to understand, right? Because you look back into Genesis, and, and God told them, he says, if you eat of this tree, you will surely what? Die. They didn't die right away. That was very gracious of God. He's, he's slow to anger, right? I remember someone talking uh, to R.C. Sproul. They had a, a panel going on, and they said, uh, how can this doctrine be true if God is slow to anger? And R.C. Sproul says, who do you think you are? And I'm like, man. Like, I felt that, and I wasn't even there. But he had already been asked this question. He says, God could have just killed man at the very beginning. He could have just said, no, there's, there's no hope. You all are useless, a waste, and I don't need you, don't want you. Get out of here. But he had a plan before the foundation of the world to send the Son to pay for his people. God is slow to anger. Paul makes this condition very clear that we are dead, lifeless, unable to do anything good in a spiritual sense. It's important to get that. Because we're still living and breathing physically, we do worldly good things. Like we, we do things that, that just seem that they, hey, Jeremy Dubois, for instance, paramedic, saving lives. I'd say that's a good thing, wouldn't you? But the Bible talks about that we are children of wrath by nature and that we don't do anything good spiritually. Children of wrath by nature. The only thing we do before Christ intervenes in our life is spiritually destructive. Look at Romans 1, verses 18 through 20. Paul writes this. This is, church, this passage alone should just lead us into evangelism. Like, hey, we need to go to the nations. Not just because Christ commanded it, but because we know what the people of the nations are doing. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, what? Suppress the truth. Stay there for a second, Brother Bill. Go back, yep, there we go. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So in our depravity, in our nature, our flesh, being children of wrath by nature, dead in our trespasses, we use that unrighteousness to suppress the truth. That, that people around the world can look at creation, they can look at the birds flying in the sky, and they can say, there is a creator for I see his thumbprint and his handiwork all over. And they take that truth and they suppress it. 
And it's not because they don't know. It's because it's very clear to them through creation that there's a creator who desires a relationship with them. And they see that. And church, we've seen that before we knew Christ. And we also suppressed that truth. We didn't want it to come up to the surface because it would expose our sinfulness. So what man does on his own by his nature, his wrathful nature, is suppress this truth. Aubrey watches, um, she's not in here, so this is one I'll talk about with her not in here. She watches all these, uh, these um, reality TV shows. And like I see them and like th- these ones like, uh, what, what's that one? Uh, Mark's not in here. The one where they, they date people, they're like dating like 20 people at a time. Anybody know that? Bachelor, yeah. I don't know that one. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I know, I know those all too well because my wife watches them. And what you'll see is they're dating like all these people and then they like, they talk about how they sabotage relationships. And I'm like, this is interesting. So I like love watching this stuff too because I love like getting to know people and wondering like, why do we do what we do? And then we talk about how great this relationship was and, and girl, I just sabotaged it. And she's like, she's, she's like, why? She's like, I just always sabotage because it's just too good to be true. And I'm like, What? You sabotage a relationship because it's too good to be true. It doesn't even make sense. Like, I'm just blown away. You, you don't know what to do when you meet a good person to be your person, right? Like, this person could, is, is good wife material, good husband material, and you're like, that's no, just too good to be true. Let them love you. Like, what? This is our nature, is, is, is that even in our dating realm, we suppress good things. And it seems crazy, but like we, we do that. It's our nature. And the truth is we can't deny this nature. What were we doing before Christ? Some of you all came to Christ at the age of five and all you did was like kick cats and stuff, right? Like you don't have like any, any hard road. You were just beating, beating the street animals and you're like, you came to the Lord and you're like, I guess I'll quit doing that, right? Like if you'll just let me get rid of my allergies, God, like I just will compromise. You, maybe you don't know. But you've had to combat this sin throughout your life. And maybe you do know, maybe you do know all too well what it's like before Christ. Maybe some of you all just came to Jesus in the past few months, in the past few weeks, maybe in the past few years. You're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. And you know, you know what your life was like before the Lord. And you know that this nature thing is so true. Some of us are just so far removed that total depravity doesn't make sense. Let me say, it's true, but praise be to God that you don't really remember all of that because God has guarded you. God is sustaining you. But you can look all around the world and don't point a finger at people. Just remember that we are all in the same boat apart from Jesus Christ. Understand this dead part. Okay, so then if we're dead, Pastor Michael, if, if we're dead and we can't do anything, then how do we come to know God? We are drawn, point number two. We are drawn. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, now you look at Lazarus when he's in the tomb. What did Jesus say to him? Come out. He didn't go in there and, and perform any kind of medical procedure on him. He says, hey, hey, Lazarus, come out. And guess who came out? Lazarus. 
Did Lazarus sit in there and think, think, oh, I can do something good here, or this is all about me? No. This is the work of God. This is the power of the gospel, church, that it's bringing the dead back to life. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. We're going to go to John chapter 6. It's a, a great chapter here. Reading what Jesus says about the work of of the Holy Spirit, what is going on here, and God drawing his people, effectually calling them. And men, if you think you're going to use an illustration when you get home with your wife and be like, you know about your irresistible grace, mm-mm. Joke's already been done, and it falls and it fails. It does not have two feet to stand on. Actually, men, we received the irresistible grace. I've Met Aubrey working at Best Buy back in West Virginia, where I'm from, and uh, I had a blue polo on and baggy khakis, because, you know, like us 90s kids, we wore everything baggy for a while, and like now we're trying to get with the trend and get hip and, and whatnot, but everything was baggy. That was irresistible grace that Aubrey, like, worked that out, like, that God just, like, laid that on her heart and just gracious, and she's, hey, I can make something out of nothing here, right? So... Praise be to God. John chapter 6, verse 35 is where we're going to pick up. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. I want to pause here. A lot of us, we run into people, they would believe if they just saw a little bit more. They would do this if they could just see if there was just evidence. People walked with Jesus and didn't believe. That's the depravity of man. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will, what? Come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should go, or that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. This is him, by the way, Jesus didn't say, hey guys, I'm God. They knew. This is why they wanted to kill him. They said, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, what? Draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I want to jump down to verse 60, if you would, with me. Then he says here, they didn't like this, right? Jesus has this huge crowd, and they quickly disperse because of this. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it, right? 
Like, I imagine it being like that, just like real, like, plain, monot- this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? Right? Like this, this series, right? It's like, this is tough. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. It's a lofty sermon from our Savior, a message. But notice what he's saying. Let's go back to verse 37, and then we'll look at verse 39. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now this is where we're talking about like the order of how things happen, because we do believe even the greatest of Calvinists, unless they're heretics and have missed the gospel altogether, that we are to repent and believe. That means with your mouth you confess your sin, and in your heart you believe that Christ is Lord. Amen? It's Romans 10, verse 9. You will be saved. This is dealing with behind the scenes how God is working in and through his people and creation to redeem a people for himself. And he says, all that the Father gives to me, I will never cast out. So the Father, this is the, the ministry of the Father, he's, he's elected his people, and they're coming to him by the Spirit. And Jesus says, I will never cast them out. We talked about perseverance of the saints, old Baptist, eternal security, amen. Once saved, always saved, if truly saved. We believe that. But then verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me. Given, right? The Father's giving. This is a gift from the Father to the Son. See, the the Father has elected a people unto himself as a bride for his Son. He has set aside. We are the bride of Christ, and the Father has set us aside and is making us holy and pure for the Son who laid himself down. Men, listen up. This is why we have a high calling, because our calling is to reflect Christ in our marriage. That Christ laid himself down for his bride. This is good. And Jesus secures them, having died on the cross to atone for her sin. Verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come unless he's drawn. Now it's like, what if they want to, what if they're like, ah, come on, let me in. Let's go. I want to go there. That's why we look back at the total depravity. Church, anybody who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, they will not be rejected. It's not what this message is saying. We're talking about back to the T as no one wants it. We're like, no, take that glory elsewhere. We don't care about you. We like the creation. We don't like the creator. This doctrine is not dealing with those who are like chomping at the bit to get in. You all feel this too. 
When you go out and you share the gospel, you see the depravity of people. You're, you're sharing, and, and, and you think that you're doing really good. This is a great presentation. Who couldn't believe in this? And then you see the depravity, and they say, no. You're one of them pro-life people, right? And they've got, like, all these little things going on, and, and that's hindering them from the gospel, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you see the depravity of people. Now, now look to verses 60 through 65. They don't like this. But then Jesus says in verse 63, we'll just focus in here and zoom in. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Actually, the flesh is a hindrance because without Christ, it's our flesh that keeps us from coming to God, that we are children of wrath by nature. That's our flesh. So Christ is, is interceding. He's coming in. The Holy Spirit is coming in and sealing you for the day of redemption, granting you faith drawing you. How this doctrine is not also like dragging an unwilling person, right? Like, like what we don't want to believe is like, no, I want to be over here. I don't want to be in heaven. Get away. And God's just dragging you, right? Like my dog, like we got a dog back in January for whatever reason, the kids, right? And I've noticed the dog doesn't like the bath. No matter how much I convince him, I'll stand at the top of the steps. Come on, Winston. Come on. This bath is going to be fun. I got a new setting on the, the, the shower head. It's going to be fun. He doesn't like it. does not like it. There's nothing that's going to change his mind. I put him in the bath, he hates it. Like, even when I get him there, it's not any better. And every time I do it and tell him to come back, he's like, I remember what it was like, and I know that it hasn't changed. It's never going to change. Just be a good owner. Quit, quit washing. This doctrine is not God dragging people in that don't want to be here. It is God changing us, changing our hearts, and changing our will so that our will would reflect his glory. Our will would reflect his will. Our will apart from Christ is destructive. It's sinful. It's flesh-like. It's worldly. But when Christ draws you, when Christ saves you, when, when you have faith, when you repent and you believe, everything changes. That's why it's radical. Don't let this doctrine divide you and think that, that people who want to get in are being left out and people who don't want to be in are being dragged in. God is surely saving people from a dead state, but he's giving them life and he's changing their heart. Just like prayer, church. We don't pray to change God's mind. We are changed. We are changed through prayer. We're changed through talking and communing and speaking with God. That should make sense, right? Every time you go into a conversation with your friend, you're not seeking to change their mind. You're seeking to converse, and a lot of times we're changed. Even more so with the creator of all things, he's changing and molding us into his likeness. We're not doing that to him. So this may bring out a feeling in you that questions, what's the point of evangelism then? Well, stay determined, point number three. Don't lose sight because, church, God has ordained the way that people will come to faith. And it's by using each and every one of you to go and to proclaim the gospel to all creation. See, this is where it's like, this is secondary because we know that the mission needs to continue. We're not going to sit and fight and forget that people are lost and going to hell apart from him. God has ordained us to go and to proclaim the gospel to all creatures. Amen? We have to stay determined. Romans 10, 17. 
So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's why I don't like, well, people, people come to faith through like dreams. And I'm like, not according to the scriptures. Like, I mean, that's what I believe. I believe the scriptures. I'd love to believe that people come to, to faith through dreams, but I believe God is opening doors through dreams or maybe visions. And then uh, an evangelist will come in. My father-in-law, he's here, and, and he's been around the world, and he can probably tell you stories of people who, who had a vision, maybe that he was even coming. I've heard that from other missionaries, that, that they had a dream, and they were going to meet somebody that had something to tell them. And they come, and they tell them, and they're like, boom, that. It's when the word is proclaimed. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This doctrine, church, ensures a confidence within the evangelist that people will be saved because God is actively and actually saving them as we go. Isn't that good news? If you knew that, hey, if I share the gospel till the day I die, God's gonna save some people. Like surely if we go out and live life on mission, people are coming to know Christ. That's good news. And that's great news for a boy from West Virginia who barely got through high school and doesn't know a lick of sense other than, hey, I need the gospel. This doctrine, church, should give you confidence because in, in our inadequate gospel presentation, people are still being saved because the saving has nothing to do with us. Sometimes maybe you thought you knocked it out of the park. Called your shot. Hey, someone's getting saved today. No one got saved. Actually, you got a text message saying how big of a loser you were, right? Like, that was a 180. Thought I did good. I remember sharing the gospel with uh, this one guy I was playing softball with when we first moved to Medina. And we'd talk on the phone. He always had objections to the gospel. He was focused on science. And I remember finally telling him, I'm like, man, like, none of this is going to make sense to you until you repent and believe. Like, you just need to believe the gospel. I can sit here and I can keep proving it, but see, the thing is, is you don't want this objection to be answered. You just want to keep finding other objections so that you don't have to believe, that you don't have to surrender your life to Christ. And it was in that moment, it was like a, just a hit to the mouth. Not from me. I felt so inadequate. I'm like, this, this dude's never getting saved. We're just going to keep going around and around about all this, this stuff that he reads. And he said, man, I, I, I want to I surrender my life to Christ. I was like, really? Yeah, like, I, I, I want that, right? I said, well, man, Romans 10, 9 says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. And he did that. He surrendered his life to Christ. Church, this, this, this doctrine should give you assurance that as you're going, people will be saved. This doctrine should give you the, the comfortability that, hey, I don't have to be a biblical scholar. I don't have to be this theologian. I don't have to be the next Jonathan Edwards, R.C. Sproul, John Piper, Matt Chandler. I don't have to be all these people to share the gospel. I don't have to be all these people to proclaim the good news. I don't have to talk like them to lead people to Christ. We are to open our mouths and share of the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. God does the saving. I love Mark 4. It says the, the farmer, he plants a seed, he tends to it, sits back, he says, it says he knows not how it grows. Church, I don't know how everything works and, and why God does. There's, there's a, a counsel of God that we won't always fully understand or ever fully understand, right? And that's to God and God alone to figure out. But me, 
I want to be humbled by this and say praise be to God that he's actively saving people and using a wretch like me to do so. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. I want to end with this and end this series with this. If you've yet to believe in the gospel, you need to repent and believe. Let today be your day where you say, I'm surrendering to Christ because I don't know what this guy's saying, but the Spirit's been moving on me this morning, telling me that I'm a wretch and I need a perfect Savior who paid the price. The Scriptures say all who call on him will not be put to shame. Repent and believe this morning. Church, you can go ahead and stand. We're going to sing this one last song. What's our last song? Mighty Cross. What, what is it? Wonderful Cross. We're going to sing of the, the glorious finished work that Jesus did on our behalf to those who believe and praise him because of it. So to the person who doesn't know Christ as their Lord, repent and believe. To those of you who are, who are saints, you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone then leave here with an urgency to go and to tell people knowing that God has ordained us to go and he's going to save people along the way. You don't have to be perfect. You just need to be go, going. You need to be active in our evangelism. Father God, thank you for the gospel message. Thank you for actively pursuing your people and bringing us out of our state. God, I know that, th that these doctrines can be difficult, and God, there's plenty of other doctrines we could get into that are just difficult, profound, and, and tough to understand, and how can we wrap our minds around it? But God, we know that you're gracious, we know that you're leading your people, and we know that you're sending us. And I pray that we wouldn't just, just go, just never think about this again. God, I pray that regardless of the side that we're on, God, that we would be drawing close to you through your word. And God, no matter what, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the doctrinal differences are, that we would be living life on mission because you have surely called us to. It would be sinful for us to sit on our hind ends and not go. Let us not be a frozen bunch of people talking about your goodness but never displaying. Displaying it but never talking about it. God, let us be faithful in word and in deed, going and proclaiming the gospel to all creation, starting with our neighbors and our neighborhoods and our community, the surrounding areas, to the state, to the nation, and then to the world. God, help us to come alongside of missionaries who are on mission for you. God, we pray for them now. We pray for uh, the Furches family. We pray for the Ortiz family. God, as we continue to support them and pray for them. God, I pray that you would just continue to help them as they trans transition back all within the past year. God, just that you bless them, that you'd keep them. And the Furches families, as they're getting ready to, to approach going back, God, that you would grant them health and safety. Lord, and that you would already be over there softening hearts in Indonesia. God, and as they are faithful to go, we trust and we rest in you, our faithful God, for you are mighty to save. God, we love you, we praise you, we ask that you be with us week we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.